Throughout human history, societies have grappled with fundamental questions of how to organize themselves. Government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Tech companies are actually taking over the world, and they're doing it with our government's help. But there also seems to be a growing awareness that they have become so big that they have too much power now. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and is gravely to be regarded. There's a hidden goal driving the direction of all of the technology we make. For well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that combines military, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. People all over this country are wondering whether or not this great country is evolving into an oligarchic society. This alternative vision argues that ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs, that order and progress can only come when individuals surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereignty. Now we can see a new world coming into view, a world in which there is a very real prospect of a new world order, and today that new world is struggling to be born, the dream of a new world order. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Today's episode will be a mix of both an update on my predictions that I've made and a little bit about social cycles, and I want to give some prep for that before I get into Season 3 and eventually start uh, explaining those and getting into those in more detail and stuff. So that's the plan. First, I want to say that I am recording this on a Friday. It is November the 6th. We still do not know who the president is. They haven't quite figured that out. They don't know who won the Senate. They don't know who won the House. They don't really know much of anything. There's also plenty of allegations of fraud. There are lots of ballots that have come in in mass at one time, and all of a sudden there's a huge spike for Biden, and that is being questioned as well. Uh, there's no telling how this will play out. So just for some context, that's where we are. But because I talked about the prediction for the election in the previous episode, I figured I should probably update that because it does seem like there is a decent chance that Biden will win, and my prediction was that Trump would win. And so I figured I should probably update that and give a bit of an explanation for my perspective. So overall, my prediction and my thesis that I laid out last week is one that I still hold to, and I think that that is still in play, regardless of whether Biden gets the election or whether Trump does. Now, what I see as the key difference is the timeline. So with Trump, my reasoning was that things would be a little more subtle, a little more drawn out, that over the course of Trump's second term, maybe halfway through it or so, it'll be pretty solidified, that we'll have things start crashing down, crashing and burning, destroyed, blamed on Trump, uh, system-wide things, not just a building or something like that, but um, terrorist attacks and cyber attacks and all the things that I laid out in the last episode. And I kind of figured that that would get blamed on Trump, that would happen throughout his term, and then we'd go far left. And that, I think, still plays. The issue that I had was that there still are plenty of people that support Trump that are against this globalist, liberal agenda, the New World Order, whatever you want to call it. And 
that that makes up a large subsection of the population in America. And I thought that it would make more sense to combat that subtly and get people to change their own minds in the sense of let them rely on that, let them look at Trump as their savior. And then when everything comes crashing down around him, gets blamed on him, and they think it's all his fault, they start questioning their own beliefs. And they're a lot easier to turn towards a different agenda, something that's much more collectivist. They'll be much more on board with that. That was kind of my thought. They would see that their ideas and ideologies weren't working out and it would be felt. If we have a depression, everyone is going to feel that in their own lives. It's not just going to be some abstract. That will hit hard and it will hit everyone. And so that was kind of my thought is that you subtly kind of destroy basically all of that ideology, everything on the right side, the individualistic nature of it, the republicanism, the conservatism, the religion as far as Christianity and America is concerned. A lot of these things I thought would get turned on their head and at least the bulk of that subsection of the population would be much easier to be goaded into going a different route or at least would be much less combative to some of these more collectivist changes. Like, for example, if there's a depression and people are out of work that can't afford anything, then all of a sudden universal health care doesn't really sound so bad or a UBI of some kind. Basically, you just continue the stimulus checks and, hey, you know, I'm not going to complain, even though I support Trump and everything else. Well, you know, sometimes maybe we need it. And you, know, you can rationalize that a lot easier. So that was my projection. I am saying that that still holds. The issue, like I said, is the timeline. And what that means is that if Biden gets elected and my thesis is still correct, let's say, you know, that's definitely an if that's a prediction, that's not a fact by any means. That's my opinion. So if my thesis holds and Biden gets elected, then all of this stuff basically just gets accelerated even further. I've talked about this before where a lot of the things that we are witnessing with COVID, a lot of the changes are trends that were already in existence and basically just accelerated in mass when COVID hit because all of a sudden there was the opportunity to do so, the whole don't let a good crisis go to waste kind of mentality. And COVID basically acted as an accelerant that was thrown onto these trends and sped them up massively. And if Biden does get elected, I think that will be another dose of accelerant thrown on this. And it actually does fit possibly even better with my thesis, unfortunately, because if Biden got elected, then you would still have the opportunity to crash things, to do this controlled demolition sometime before Trump is out of office or just after he is out of office, and it could still all get blamed on Trump. Now, if it happened halfway through Biden's presidency, then it gets a little iffy, gets a little tougher. But if it happened basically this winter, then things would probably still go very well. Now, uh, obviously, this ties in well with the dark winter scenario. It ties in well with a lot of the war gamed out scenarios of a contested election and all this kind of stuff as well. And this could happen because 
if this were the case and things did need to be accelerated, then you could take full advantage of this COVID crisis before it has a chance to fizzle out in any way. It is definitely in full force. We are right in the middle of, well, I guess kind of in the beginning of this second wave that has been predicted and been talked about ever since the first wave even got recognized. And so that could happen. You could have all of these things that I laid out in the previous episode just basically all happen now, or at least within the next few months. And that would be pretty crazy. Uh, I don't even know what to say about it. It'd be very interesting and pretty extreme. And it would be kind of like COVID where it's like watching a train wreck where I'm really enjoying seeing how all this stuff is changing and what's going on and the craziness that's going on, the corruption going on, the propaganda going on. It's in a way, it's fun to dissect. It's fun to analyze. It's fun to see all this stuff play out in real time. But at the same time, again, if we go through a major depression and we have like draconian lockdowns and we have states wanting to secede from the union and crazy stuff like this, there are plenty of aspects of that that are not fun to go through. And this gets a little crazy. I talked about us being in an age of transition and that is the transition. And if it does get sped up to that degree, it's going to be rocky. And so that is something to definitely consider and to be prepared for. I have talked about things like agorism and homesteading and self-sufficiency. That might be something you might want to get involved with ASAP because in the event that something crazy does happen, you want to be prepared for yourself and your family. And that is something I would Highly, highly, highly recommend. Now, I do admit that I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. Who knows? I am just stating my predictions and my personal opinions. But in my personal opinion, that is not a risk you really want to take, being totally unprepared when things come crashing down around you. And since that at least has a... Uh, somewhat of a percentage chance of happening. It's a non-zero chance. I would definitely consider that, even though it's always non-zero, nothing's ever guaranteed. It's definitely much higher than it was, say, a year ago or any other time in your life. We have a much higher chance of things coming crashing down within the next few months or the next year than we ever have in our lifetimes. And so that's something to greatly consider and put a lot of weight into. Now, one aspect that I think does get delayed, so I say a lot of this stuff gets accelerated as far as at least my predictions and what I thought for my thesis, a lot of that would get accelerated. The one thing that would get delayed would, I believe, be the civil unrest aspect. So that's something that... I was predicting if Trump won, you would have a lot more civil unrest that would come out of that. A lot of uh, the protests, for example, would expand and get bigger. Now, I think if Biden wins, that aspect actually gets delayed. What I think would happen is that you don't have these massive protests and civil unrest directly after the election, that those will come into play due to Biden's policies in his reaction to all of these dark winter type scenarios. And so that would push it back at least a few months, maybe even into the spring before you start seeing any of that really come into play. And so again, that's my prediction. That's my opinion. And that's what I would see playing out more is that the overall thesis and the controlled demolition, the controlled destruction, that kind of stuff, the crash 
I would see that stuff, the event, getting accelerated and getting condensed into the time period of the end of Trump's presidency and the beginning of Biden's, if Biden wins. And then I would see the civil unrest getting pushed back a little further. Whereas if Trump wins, I see the opposite. I see the civil unrest side of things get bumped up and that come into play in the very near future, still having some aspects of the dark winter scenario playing out within the next few months. And then a lot of the rest of it kind of getting spread out throughout Trump's presidency in his second term. So that's my prediction, and that is my opinion. I figured I should probably update that since there is a decent chance that Biden will end up winning. I don't want you to think, oh, well, he was wrong, and therefore everything falls apart. No, I still stick to my thesis, and I still think that a lot of this will play out the way that I have described. That is still my opinion, my prediction. I'm going to keep repeating this because that's just my personal views. And we will see. We'll be able to go back and listen to this episode and the previous one and see how my predictions held up. We will see. Hopefully, I'll still be doing this in a few years. And maybe that would be fun to go back and revisit these episodes and see how they really played out and how my different predictions uh, failed or succeeded. Now, the second half of this episode is basically me just giving you an opportunity to do some research. I will give you some time before I get to these things, this aspect of social cycles. Before I get to that in season three, I'm going to give you a heads up of the types of things that I will be talking about because I do think they are extremely interesting. I'm hearing, again, I'm starting to hear these things being talked about on other podcasts, on, on in other sources, kind of like I was with when I mentioned the aspect of an age of transition and coming into technocracy and how that would look, how that would play out. I started to hear that coming out from a lot of other people as well. And I'm starting to hear this talk of social cycles coming out a little more as well. So to kind of front run that and give you the opportunity to check out those other sources, which I think are very valuable and well worth it. And I think that will give you a better understanding and it will introduce you to these things before I get to it later in the coming season. And I think that would be beneficial to uh, to seek out and to research and to look into on your own. You don't have to. You can just listen to this as a bit of an introduction to the idea of social cycles and how I will be addressing that. But uh, ideally, you will take this as a nudge to get into some of this stuff yourself and look into some of these sources that I will present you with. And that is what I would recommend. So the idea here is that societies go through cycles and society as a whole, human civilization as a whole, goes through cycles. So it's not just that civilizations like the Roman Empire or the American Empire or any of these others, the Persian Empire, whatever. It's not only that those civilizations go through cycles and play out. It's that society as a whole, the whole human race goes through cycles as well. And some of these things are... Uh, cyclical in nature where they repeat themselves. It's a pattern that repeats itself. And some of these are more linear where it's a progression from one thing to another, to another, to another. And that is the framework that I will be expanding on as I get into this idea of social cycles. So where I started from was some of the content from William Henry Smith and his writings about technocracy and him getting into these aspects that I talked about in a previous episode about the will to live, the will to master, the will to make, all of these types of things, and that we have these drives within us, human drives. And 
I basically took that and took some of his ideas on different forms of societal governance and control and stages and that kind of stuff. And I basically formulated that into a social cycle. He didn't, at least as far as I know, I I can't find any other works of his that get into this. So as far as the book technocracy, he didn't get into it and lay this out the way that I did or organize it in that way. And so I think this is original to me, but who knows? There could be more out there that I have not run across. I don't know. But as far as I know, I am bringing these things together in a way that he did not do, but I think they fit very well. And so I basically made this social cycle framework where there are five social cycles, so to say, that we go through. There are five ages of man is the way I am presenting this. We've got the age of survival, the age of religion, the age of empire, the age of economics, and the age of science. Now, some of this is stuff that I have mentioned previously, but I am doing a mix of a recap plus some new stuff and laying this out a little bit more, and I will give you some sources for all of these things for you to look into. So this is the idea. I have these five ages of man. They are governed by different instincts. The first, the will to live using brute force as a method. It's all about the masses and base desires. You have new technologies that come into play for each of these ages. You've got things like tools and agriculture that come into play in this age of survival. Um, Society is in the form of tribes, and the governance structure is much more authoritarian. Then as you get into the second age of man, the age of religion, this would be ruled by more theocracy. It's governed by the will to make. It's all about cunning instead of brute force like the previous age. The class that does very well are the artisans. These are the skilled people that are you know, making more things as we're governed by the will to make here. The goal is to construct things, to build things. Uh, cities are the way that society is now organizing much more commonly. And you have the technology of a centralized government and bureaucracy and this city life that is coming into play in this age. The next age, the age of empire, this would be where autocracy is more of the governance structure here. It's all about the will to master It's a combination of the methods of force and cunning. It's not just the brute force. It's not just the cunning. It's you combine those two together, and that's what's usually leveraged in this age. It's all about the class of employers. It is people that are using other people, using human resources to their own benefit. It's all about controlling people and masses. The form of society is much more organized around empires. And one of the main technologies here is an organized military. And so that is the age prior to the one that we are kind of coming out of now. And that would be the next one, the age of economics. That is organized around a government structure of plutocracy, roughly, organized around the will to take or the will to acquire and hoard. It is taking the force and cunning and applying to that skill. So it's more about cunning and skill. It's this new idea that's coming up. Those are the methods that are used for success. Bankers and entrepreneurs and corporations, these are the classes that are doing very well and have a lot of the control in this age. The form of 
society is capitalistic, that is kind of the main ruling structure is capitalism, and the technology would probably be the industrial revolution is how kind of this gets sparked off. And then the further technologies uh, involving production and computerization, these types of things. And so that is the age that we are at the tail end of getting into this next age, the age of science. And I see that as the age we are transitioning into. That would be formed around the governance structure of technocracy, governed by the will to know. And now the force and the cunning are moved to the background and skill is the method that is most often used for control and working your way up the system. The class that's kind of in control the most would be the scientists, the academics, the elites of that nature. The goal is to analyze things. That is what we're trying to do here. We are using data and everything is structured around data and technology. The technologies that are coming into play here the most are things related to computing and genetics and AI, these types of things. And so that is what we are getting into and solidifying more now. Um, This age is what William Henry Smith kind of idealized as being the, well, the ideal for how society should evolve. And I have argued in previous episodes um, that it is not going to be as much of a utopia as it will be a dystopia, but that is my personal opinion. So that is mostly kind of a review of my structure. That's how I started. Now, then I added in a biblical cycle that plays out in the Bible, and that is one that I overlaid on top of William Henry Smith's, and I'm not going to get into that in detail at all. Uh, The next layer that I am adding on to this also is a more religious layer. This is coming mostly out of Hinduism. The main person that I'm getting stuff from is P.R. Sarkar, and he had some theories about Varna, four types of people and ages, and he laid those out and got those from the Hindu caste system. And so you have the intellectual, the warrior, the acquisitor, the laborer, and he built out a social cycle theory on these things. And so then I overlay these onto the ages of man that I have created. And so you begin with the commoner, and that plays well into the age of survival. And next, there is the warrior, where you have chiefs and kings come up, you start to conquer nature, and you have these civilizations that start to rise up. It's not just tribal, but it's a little more organized, and that's in the age of religion, and it pairs really well with some of those themes that I had laid out. The next stage is the thinker. And this would be the intellectuals or academics. This is an age where these types of people are the ones that are running empires. They are the ones that are in charge. They are the elite class in the age of empires. But this age overall is more about purely materialistic things. And so that is what kind of governs this age from Sarkar's perspective. The next class would be the merchant class, the capitalists, and this fits very well with the age of economics that I had mentioned earlier and the capitalistic system. And so he talks about how this 
age is all about exchange and markets, global trade, capitalism, these kinds of things. And so that fits in very well, obviously. And then the final stage that we're getting into, he doesn't have something for this last stage, but he does have a social cycle that he lays out and a whole theory called progressive utilization theory. That's P-R-O-U-T for an acronym there. And he lays out how it's this cycle and we are due for the end of the cycle, which is the revolution that gets us back to the masses being in control. So I guess back to the commoner. But in his proposal, we need to have the intellectuals be the ones that are overall in charge but at the same time, everything is collectivist and done for the good of the common man. And it sounds a little utopian to me, but uh, that's where he's going there, which actually fits very well with what I have for the age of science as a whole. Now, layering on top of that is something that might come from Sarkar, but I can't confirm that. I got it from Vin Armani, who is one of the sources I would recommend if you listen to Free Man Beyond the Wall. He's done a few episodes on there, as well as some good episodes on... Up is Down, I believe is the name of the podcast. Uh, I kind of randomly found it because I was looking for more interviews that he's done on this, and he's calling it the dim age, kind of this age of transition and getting into a new age. And um, this is where I got the idea of looking into Sarkar and his theories. And so that's where I pulled all of that information from that came from inspiration from Vin Armani's talks. And so he talked about these things, but I'm not sure if he was referencing Sarkar or if he came up with them on his own or has some other source. I honestly don't know. But he talked about this cycle of mysticism to materialism. And I actually have another theory on where he got this from that I'll mention next. But um, this is a cycle where we start off with things being focused on mysticism in the first age. Well, as I overlay this onto my ages, at least, the age of survival will be more about mysticism, and that fits very well there. And then we go into a mix of mysticism and the material in the age of religion where you have uh, solidified cultures and domination and fighting. But at the same time, it's this age of religion where you have theocracies and religions playing a tight role in society, having tight control over the people. And so that would be the mix there, getting into a purely materialistic society. And for my overlay, that would be the age of empire. And if you think of Rome as a very good example, they were a very materialistic society there. And then as we get into the next age, the age of economics, that would be another mix where you have a mix of the material and the mystical. The mystical would be like, um, as I explained in a few episodes, laying out the views of William Henry Smith. I talked about the magic qualities of money, how these are kind of magic and mystery oriented when you get into fiat money and a lot of the capitalistic structures of stocks and bonds and different things like this. So you can go back and review that if you don't remember. But uh, that's this aspect of mysticism coming into play, but mixed with the material. We've got this mix here. And then the next age, the final age of science that at least is the final in my layout of my social cycles theory here, um, that would be going back to pure mysticism. And so I would argue that this is not going to be religious mysticism, but this will be much more about 
atheism and worshiping science as a religion. Currently, we have the state as religion. Statism is probably the most popular religion in America right now, and I have also laid that theory out as well. But um, I believe that science is getting to the new age Things are much more mystical, much more magical. We've got things that are very uh, oriented around being digital or genetic, or we have mimetic magic, all oriented around the will to know and having data collection and technology. These things, having virtual worlds, these are much more mystical, but uh, not in the way you would think of as like a fantasy novel talking about mysticism. It's a little different. And so if you listen to Vin Armani, for example, talking about an age of magic, and you're going to have to get magical really quick. And uh, these are the types of things that he's talking about there. And it fits in really well with the layout that I have here. Um, I looked more into the Hindu religion as well. And that gets a little bit interesting because there actually is a social cycle that is involved in the religion that they have laid out. Now, in the book, of Hinduism, there is a set timeline, and these cycles last for thousands of years. And so as far as their specific timeline is concerned, it doesn't fit my model at all. But if you look at the order of these things and what the categories are and how they're described, it fits perfectly. So you have these things called yugas, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Y-U-G-A. And they have, again, I'll probably butcher the pronunciations here, but you have different yugas that are these different ages. The first one is the Satya Yuga, and that is an age of truth. It's much more utopian. It's all about nature and virtue, these kinds of things. And then in the next age, you have a fourth of the virtue, so to say, goes away. And so you have only three-fourths virtue and one-fourth sin. So you have corruption coming into play here. And this is when you have things like agriculture and mining and war and emperors, and you have people conquering nature. And so this, again, fits very well with this age of religion and all these other things that I've talked about. Getting into the age of empire, you have the next yuga, and that is the... Dvarpara, maybe, uh, Yuga, and that's the next one where uh, you lose another fourth of the virtue. So now society is only half virtuous and half sinful. And with this, you have cultural corruption. You have things like disease. You have even more war come into play. And society and culture and individuals are much more immature than they were. And this would be in the age of empire. So again, if you use the Roman Empire as a good example to represent this age as a whole, I think a lot of those things fit very well with that. The next age, the one we are coming out of, the age of economics, that would be the Kali Yuga, which, following the pattern here, is only one-fourth virtue and three-fourths sin. And so if you think of sin as being anti-religion, anti-morals, uh, you compare that with the idea of relative truth and relative morality and social justice being the new morality, coming away from the more religious moralities. And so... So that should resonate pretty well with you there. This is an age of what they say is darkness and ignorance. We are slaves to our passions. There are a lot more liars and hypocrites. There's more pollution. There's a disintegration of the family unit. 
this is all what happens and occurs in this age. And I think a lot of that does relate very well to the age that we have been in recently. And then coming into the final age here, it would cycle back and we would get all the way back to the Satya Yuga, and that would be back to a more utopian society where we come back to being fully virtuous, and this would be the final utopia. And again, that fits in well with William Henry Smith's idea of this utopian technocracy, and same with Sarkar, where he's proposing this Prout theory and how to get into a new utopia as well. And all of this kind of goes utopian for this final stage, this final age of man. But now I want to layer on another layer onto this framework of the ages of man. This comes from Sorokin. I have quoted him before on this podcast. I think way back in season one, I used his main quote that I like the most a few times, and I'm not going to look it up. Uh, I should should have probably done that, so I could have quoted it to you because it's very fitting. Um, but it's about this theory that he has about society going through these cycles, and it goes from a society that's ideational to a society that is idealistic to a society that is sensate. And this is the cycle that societies go through. And so what it is, is the ideational society is about faith and revelation and mystery, which obviously fits in very well with the idea of mysticism or magic and fits in very well with the age of survival, kind of the beginnings of the civilizations of man, that kind of idea here. And that flows into the next age, which would be more idealistic. It's more integrated. It's a mix of this idea of a sensate culture with this previous ideational culture. And again, that goes very well with the idea of having something that is a mix of the mystical to the material. And that's why I'm wondering if Ben Armani has pulled some of this stuff from Sorokin, not Sarkar. I'm not really sure, but um, that's another interesting inquiry there. But um, Sorokin does talk about this, where the next age, the age of religion on my framework, is one that is mixed between the ideational and the sensate, and that does fit very well with my framework here. Going into the age of empire, that is a much more sensate culture. It's all about the senses. It's all about the pleasures and these types of things. And again, I'll stick with the theme of using Rome and the Roman Empire as the example here. That was a very sensate culture. And so that is the cycle that he would lay out is these three. And then basically you get another transitional age. And that would be the age of economics that we are just coming out of. That is a mix of the sensate culture with the ideational culture of faith and revelation and mystery. And again, I've laid this out about capitalism and the magic of fiat money and these kinds of things mixing with the materialism of our capitalistic system and um, this age of economics ruling and governing things. And that gets us into the next stage. And so for Sorokin's model, that puts us back into an ideational age where it is, again, more about faith and revelation and mystery, which fits very well when you think of something like science and science becoming a religion. And it's more about the 
faith, have faith in the science is one of the common phrases going around right now. But it's also this mystery and revelation. We have these mysteries with the genetic code of humanity and of all of the world. And what are these things and how do they work and how can they be manipulated? And it's this mystery that's there, but we are getting that stuff revealed through science. We are having this revelation through this religion of science that everything is formulated around. And so uh, obviously that fits very well as well. And so far, those are all of the layers that I have. I'm not sure if I'll add more, but it's all the, the multiple layers that I drew from William Henry Smith, the layers I drew from biblical cycles, the layers I drew from Hinduism and then from Sarkar and the Hindu caste system and some of the stuff possibly from Vin Armani, unless he was also just drawing from those other sources as well. I'm not quite sure. And so I am layering on all of these different things into this framework that I had created originally about the ages of man and seeing how all of those integrate really well together. They work really well together. They explain each other and... Uh, number one, it's just really interesting to uh, dig into these types of things, these social cycles that we go through. And number two, it can be very practical to see what the governing age is, what are the factors involved with that, and what is driving society, what is driving people. There is this example of how facts and logic don't really work on everyone anymore. This is something that uh, Pete Quinones has talked about, as well as Vin Armani and some other folks. But um, it's this idea that you can pound someone over the head with facts and logic. I have all these studies about masks, and this is something that I've talked about in previous episodes, where I can show you a dozen studies that show that masks do not work to combat COVID-19, or all of this information about how lockdowns don't work for this, or that children are not in a high-risk category and should not be tested on with vaccines or have their schools canceled or anything else. And there can be actual scientific, factual information on this stuff, and that does not matter. I can show that to somebody and they just blow it off and they don't care because it's not about the facts and the logic. We are moving into this age that is much more about magic and mysticism, much more about ideation, much more about science as a religion, as a faith, not as something that is based on fact and logic and reason, but something that is much more spiritual in a way. And so you can get a lot out of this practically in understanding the culture and where we're going and how things are shifting and why they are playing out the way they are. And I think looking at these social cycles can be very helpful for these types of things as well. Now, another practical layer that I have not layered on, but I am considering is the one that comes from William Strauss and Neil Howe. You may have heard of the book Generations or the next one, The Fourth Turning. And they have this uh, generational social cycle that they play out and they had put us in an age of transition, so to say, currently in their projections when they made this back in the 90s, I believe. And this was the age of transition that would get us into the next age. And you have these generational patterns and how people act. And they kind of tie all this stuff in. And 
I'm thinking of including that as well. And that one is even more practical and that can be applied very well in a very fitting way into the framework that I've built out. So that's one that I will probably add in as well. But again, if you take all of these things, you can use them to practically understand people and understand the culture, understand what's going on, to prepare for things that are upcoming. Because if you obviously see them coming and you see that there is a at least decent chance of something going down, then you can prepare for that something if you know what it is and if you know what the chances are. And then also, you've got aspects like investing. I have not done an episode on that yet, but I will. And so if you can see that there is some major things that are about to go down and you have a million dollars in an investment account in the S&P 500 in an ETF, then that might be something that you may reconsider once you have all of this information and you understand these cycles and the age we're in and all this kind of stuff and how that usually plays out and how it probably will play out. And so again, these can be applied pretty practically. And so I think personally that it is very useful information and as well as just being very interesting and and more intellectually stimulating, so to say. And so that's where I'm coming from. But uh, again, all of this goes into the book that I'm currently writing, and that's my outline for the next season. And so I have gone into detail on all these different things. And so um, that is something that I will lay out in the next season. But again, that'll be a little ways down the road. I've got to finish up these more opinionated episodes, so to say, in this transition between seasons and then get into the next season and talk about the first few subjects of um, the content that I'll be presenting next season. And then we'll get into these social cycles and these ages of man that I have laid out this framework for and get into more detail on each one of these and how they overlay and some examples and all this kind of stuff. And so that is upcoming in the next season. But since I've ran across this stuff, especially the Vin Armani interviews, that that really piqued my interest a lot. And it had me add a few more layers to my formula here and to my outline and my framework. And it was really cool how they fit so well. And it helped me to understand a few things even better as I looked into those sources that he drew from. And so that was some inspiration. But what I would recommend, I told you I would give you some recommendations here on your own research, um, look into uh, Vin Armani would be one really good source. His talks on these things, you may not agree with a lot of it, but a lot of it is very good and very interesting. There's a lot to pull out of that. And so that would be one source. Looking into Sorokin, that would be another one I'd highly recommend, as well as Sarkar's theories. And if you get into Prout, and that theory that he presented. I don't know if I'll get into that personally, um, or at least not personally, but as far as this podcast is concerned with the content that I am presenting. But um, I personally am interested in it and have been looking into it. But uh, his theories are kind of in line with like the zeitgeist movement and technocracy as a theory and social governance system. And so his proposals kind of fit really well with those things. And so that's kind of an interesting side note that you might want to look into as well. So I would recommend Sarkar. I would recommend Sorokin. I would recommend Vin Armani. And I don't know. Oh, yes. Um, the fourth turning theory, uh, maybe just the book, The Fourth Turning, but there's also a whole bunch of interviews. I found a whole lot. And a few of them were fairly recent where they actually talk about COVID-19 and the application of that. But um, I believe it is Strauss, William Strauss, but I can't remember. It might be Neil Howe. I can't remember which one. Uh, one of them have, has done a decent bit of 
interviewing recently, relatively recently that you can look into, especially in podcast form. And he's done some really good interviews. And so that would be a recommendation that that I have for you as well. So looking into all those sources, if this is something that is of interest to you, you can dig into those on your own and get well versed and well studied up on those. And you should be able to see how they integrate together and tie in together as you start reading into and listening into these different theories and applying them to each other and current events and all these kinds of things. So that is it. I am going to end this episode here. The only other comment for me to make is something that I slightly left out, and that is that there are two possible narratives with the election that are being brought up. And I just want to, again, clarify that it doesn't really change anything substantial. One narrative would be that Trump contests the election, it gets overturned, and Trump gets in office. And I still think you have the exact same scenario playing out, um, the one that I put forward, at least with Trump being elected. And it'll be even easier to carry that out if that's the way it turns out, because then you would have an easier time demonizing the right and demonizing Trump and delegitimizing the election, that kind of stuff. So that's one scenario. The other scenario is Biden gets in, then he doesn't make it very long. And less than 100 days later, you have Kamala as president. And even if that does happen, which I am more doubtful about, but uh, it's possible. It's definitely a possibility. And even if that happens, you still have the same thing playing out as I laid out for a Biden presidency where you have the New World Order type agenda, the whole sustainable development, Agenda 2030, Agenda 21, whatever you want to call it, that will get rolled out the same way. And under Kamala, she'd probably even be a little more extreme than Biden. And so that scenario would probably work out pretty well because, like I said, that speeds up the timeline if the Democrats get in. And she would probably make that happen fairly well and fairly quickly. So that would also make sense. That would also prep us for a more far left presidency in the next term. And maybe that is Kamala that would then get reelected. She's fairly far left, at least compared to the middle of the road kind of centrist people. And so uh, that would be the other scenario. So I just wanted to address those at least since I left those out in the first part of the episode. And then now I will actually end the episode. So thank you very much for all of your support. There is a new patron on Patreon. That would be Stephen Matthew. He signed up uh, a little while ago and I kind of missed it. But even though I'm a few weeks late, I want to say thank you very much for your support specifically and give you a little shout out on here. I really appreciate that. If you want to hit me up for the perks that you will get, you signed up for the tier where you can request a topic and request an episode topic or a question or something like that, as well as you can get a t-shirt or a piece of merchandise. So if that's something that you want, then send me an email, let me know your details, and I can get that to you as well. And everyone else, the rest of the patrons, thank you very much, especially to you. Thank you for listening. Everybody, thank you for any word of mouth recommendations and for just sharing this podcast with others and just for listening yourself. I will come back next week for another episode on I do not know what topic, but we will see. I've listed off the possibilities before and hopefully you come back and join us. Thank you again. I'm out. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundation's podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.